Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. It's 10 years since the first companies were certified as B Corp in New Zealand, and since then the movement of ethical and environmentally responsible businesses has grown to over 500 in New Zealand and Australia, and more than 6,000 worldwide. But as the movement shifts from cutting edge to mainstream, growing pains are emerging. Last year, a group of 30 B Corps were horrified when Nespresso, a subsidiary of Nestle, was certified despite, as they say, Nespresso's abysmal track record on human rights from child labour and wage theft to abusive factory workers. Can just any company be certified as B Corp? Can the movement maintain its standards? Well, joining me is Kile Wong, the first country manager for B Lab, which is the organisation that certifies B Corp companies. She joins me in the studio. Kile, thanks for joining me on this climate business. Thanks for having me, Vincent. So, uh, 10 years, it's already 10 years. It just seems like that's gone in a flash. Mm. Uh, 2023 uh, is 10 years. Who was the first company to be certified as a B Corp? So the first company in New Zealand was a company called Eagle Protect, which um, many people probably haven't heard of. Uh, they create um, PPE garments and gloves and things. So during the pandemic, obviously, um, you know, that kind of, industry became a lot Mm -hmm. more well-known. But back in 2012, uh, their founder, Steve, came across the B Corp movement in the US. Um, They exported a lot of their products there, and that's where the B Corp movement started. And he came across this idea, and and I think he had always tried to build a a company that was ethical, and and, there weren't really any certifications or ways to validate that um, 10 years ago until he came across this B Corp certification um, and he just decided that it was, you know, he had found his tribe that was absolutely <laughs> in line with the way they wanted to run their business. And so he reached out to B-Lab US at the time because there was no B-Lab in New Zealand or Australia uh, and went through the certification process. So Good for him. And, uh, and he sort of started the movement here. Who was the first... Um, like, are you the first manager of the New Zealand side? Because it's been run out of Australia, the B... B Lab has been run out of Australia mostly, hasn't it? Yes. So B Lab is the non-profit that looks after B Corp certification. And um, when B Lab was set up in Australia, it's a regional team, so um, regional office. So we service both Australia and New Zealand, but all the people had been based in Australia up until last year. So uh, my role was created um, as the movement was really starting to take off, particularly in New Zealand um, now that we have 100 B Corps here, which is massive. That's incredible. And Australia? Across Australia and New Zealand, I think, 600? Uh, 520, but I'm sure we'll be at 600 pretty soon. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's just do some quick fire questions on, you know, establishing the facts, just the facts, ma'am. First of all, how does a company become certified through B Corp? So in order to get certified, businesses undertake a self-assessment first, um, and that is a questionnaire essentially of around 250 questions across five impact areas. So those areas include workers, environment, customers, community, and governance to tie it all together. They need to get a minimum of 80 points across all of those sections out of approximately 200 points in total, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but the average score for businesses that take the assessment is about 50. So even getting to 80 is a high bar. Right. 
Uh, and they then get verified, essentially audited by the B-Lab team to demonstrate, you know, that they have the evidence to back up uh, what they say they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, once they meet that and they retain their 80 points, that's when they become certified and join the community. Who goes on to police the ongoing behaviour of the company? Because you might pass it mm-hmm. once, but yes. next year you might, you know, turn into evil core. Sure, yeah. So we recertify companies every three years. Um, They go through that same audit process uh, and will undertake the assessment again. Um, In between, if there are things that happen where there are complaints from the public, if something really bad does happen, Mm -hmm. we have a process by which we review that on a case-by-case basis. But otherwise, our structure is every three years. How is it different from other certifications? I mean, there's, there are, there have been and there still are quite a few certifications. I'm thinking of Toy 2, for mm-hmm. instance, um, in, well, Environmark, which I think got kind of absorbed into Toy 2. Mm. There's ThinkStep. There, there are a, quite a range of certifications around ethics, around carbon neutrality and so on. Yeah. Why B Corp? So uh, there are lots of certifications, you're right. Some, many in the past are focused purely on products or industries, whereas B Corp really looks holistically at the whole company. So mm-hmm. we certify businesses rather than products or brands. Um, or there are certifications like Toy2, and Toy2 is actually a B Corp themselves, um, that look at a specific impact area, so the environment or diversity, for example. And those certifications still also have their place. Um, Many of the B Corps in our network have multiple certifications. Um, And I think the real value of B Corp is bringing all of that together. And it's actually about a mindset in the way that you run your business. Mm -hmm. So we talk about stakeholder governance, which is sort of a process by which all of the decisions you make as a company uh, are run through a filter of how does this impact my people? How does this impact the environment? How does this impact my broader community? And how does this impact the bottom line from a commercial perspective? And and the B Corp framework is about constantly weighing up those different factors. Yeah. It's experiencing some growing pains. I mean, it's been so successful and it's growing. I think there are more than 6,000 companies internationally. And um, But you, you are experiencing sort of pu- starting to push those limits now, aren't you, about what kind of company would you allow into your club mm. Um, and it's been some high-profile examples. I think probably Nespresso is, is the most mm. um, high-profile example. And there was a group of uh, of about 30 B Corps who protested or presented a petition to, to B Lab Global to say, what the hell, why is Nespresso, you know, which is a sub- mm. subsidiary of Nes, um, Nestle, in, into the, the club? And that's fair complaint, isn't it? Well, it's interesting that you use the word club um, because as a certification, it's not really up to us, you know, from a subjective point of view as to who we allow to certify. Um, Businesses that meet the standards meet the standards and Mm. they can choose to go through that verification process and do the work to get there. Um, So in that sense, we can't kind of say, pick and choose which businesses want to get certified. What we can do is we can make sure that our standards are continuously you know, raising the bar. Mm. Um, and we do have certain rules around subsidiaries. So um, I think, that, you know, there was some confusion around how much control Nestle has over Nespresso. Um, but they had to undergo quite a in-depth scoping to make sure that Nespresso itself was a distinct entity that had enough decision-making control over its own supply chain that mm-hmm. we could certify just Nespresso without looking at the broader Nestle group. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they did the work. It took them about three years to get 
get certified um, and they met that 80-point bar. Um, and so, you know, I think the B Corp movement was started by small, innovative startup companies. You know, there were some bigger ones like Patagonia, um, although I don't know how big they were back then, but... Um, they definitely were set, you know, the, the movement was started by leaders and innovators. But if we're really going to create our ultimate goal, which is changing our economic system, that's mm-hmm. huge. Uh, we need the big guys to come on board. And and B Corp is not about doing an assessment, getting a badge and putting it on the shelf. It's about starting a journey of continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and while businesses continue to improve, our standards team are also constantly evolving our standards to make them harder and harder to achieve. So that's that's well, there's quite a big process um, happening at the moment, which will see some new standards being rolled out uh, over the next couple of years. Is that in response to the Nespresso experience? No, that was happening anyway. So we're already on version six of the assessment. So there are always new things that are added. I think as new issues arise, social environmental issues that we you know hadn't foreseen or new industries come up like cryptocurrency, you know, how do you decide what an ethical cryptocurrency company is? You mm. know, we had no idea that that's something we'd be looking at 10 right. years ago. Yeah. So we do have to constantly evolve the standards. Um, but this one that is happening at the moment is quite a drastic change where we'll be introducing uh, minimum requirements. So that's quite a, a difference from the kind of getting 80 points across mm. any of the impact areas. Does it matter what the company actually does? For instance, I mean, I'm going to give you a, a ridiculous hypothetical, but a cigarette company mm. could have fantastic supply chain practices. They could be carbon neutral uh, it's a, they're a killing machine, but mm. you know the journey to get there might be really fantastic. Could mm. they become part? Could they be certified? No. So we do have some industries which are absolute no go, um, like gambling, oil and gas, uh, cigarettes. Yeah, lots of uh, of those kinds of industries where we just don't believe that they need to exist. Um, they can't become B corps. So in your experience, as uh, you, you've been sort of in this game for a while now, do you, do you think that there are some businesses and industries that that actually just couldn't be improved and need to stop operating. Yeah, I mean, I think cigarettes is a, is a great example. There's not, um, there, as you say, they their science is proven that they're a killing machine. There's no point in us trying to create ethical cigarette companies. Um, and so that's just not within scope of what the B Corp movement is trying to achieve. What would be the most, um, where, where, would, where would you set your own comfort limits? You know, could you imagine, I don't know, I'll, mm. I'll throw some examples at you. You're probably going to say no comment, but um, <laughs> I don't know, could Air New Zealand be a B Corp? Yeah, that one's interesting. I don't know if we have any airlines globally. Um, I think that the ambition around sustainable aviation, um, you know, is, is real and it could be realised. Um, so I wouldn't rule that out. I think the finance sector is a really interesting one because in many ways it's so tied up with our current, the, the problems in our current system. Um, and it, we are, this is, so this is one area that we're currently doing a review, a specific review of our standards, especially large financial institutions, large mainstream banks. Hmm. Um, we do have some kind of smaller or kind of more uh, ethically minded focused banks that are already B Corps. But I think that's going to be a really interesting area to see how we can support those institutions to come on the journey. Mm. It's a difficult line, isn't it? I mean, if you, for, you know, if you said, for instance, um, agriculture in New Zealand is mm. um, under a lot of pressure for its emissions, for its um, treatment of land and and animals, um, at what point? You know, t- tell me a little bit more about the line that you would draw about. Mm. Um, 
not just the kind of the journey to get there, but the but the actual outcome of businesses. Uh, mm-hmm. How does B Corp measure, and you know, what kind of criteria do you use? <laughs> Yeah, so as I mentioned, it's very holistic. We look at lots of different areas. Um, in New Zealand, so Sinlay, for example, is a dairy company that's B Corp certified in New Zealand. Mm. Um, on the environmental side, we would be looking at, you know, how they manage all of their, their resource inputs and waste streams from water, land use. Um, and it's not so much about, you know, whether they're perfect at all of those things, but it's about what safeguards and processes do they have in place to make sure that they're constantly monitoring that stuff and seeking to improve, you know, year on year. Mm. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned, it's more about a framework, a strategy and a mindset of how do you become a better business and how do you deliver positive impact, not just minimise your negative impact, but how do you think about what your purpose is as a company and and how you can actually deliver a positive social or environmental good? Mm-hmm. To what extent does um, carbon emissions or you know greenhouse gas emissions and, and mm-hmm. climate climate yeah. component? Tell me, tell us about yeah. that. You know, where where does that fit into the process? Yeah, so in our in the environmental section, there are a number of questions as I mentioned on all those different areas on whether you measure your scope one, two, and three, um, and what targets you've set around those. Um, at the moment, there is no minimum requirement in that section, so you could be doing some things quite well and some things really just beginning and still become a B Corp. Um, with this update of the standards, which is coming in the next couple of years, we will have some minimum requirements in this area that we brought in. So this is where it's really raising the bar and making it more difficult to become B Corp. Mm-hmm. Um, so particularly around science-based targets and net zero commitments, making sure that those are founded in a, a, a plan that can actually deliver those targets. Um, and businesses will have to evidence that um, in order to retain their certification or become a B Corp. What brought you back to New Zealand? You were in the UK for a while, Mm -hmm. um, having a bit of fun by the look of it. Um, (laughs) What brought you back? Was it this role in particular? Um, I had so spent eight years living in London. Um, uh, The main reason was that I had a baby and I wanted to be back closer to my family. Um, So our life kind of changed quite dramatically after we had a child in, in London. Um, and just felt like it was really time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, yeah, very serendipitous that this role came up. Um, I had had a little bit to do with the B Corp movement in the UK, but not worked for B Lab over there. Um, so when I saw it, and I had witnessed the huge explosion of B Corp certification in the UK, I knew that it was something I really wanted to be part of building in New Zealand. Uh, and I feel very grateful to be in this role now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you've had quite an interesting career. You worked for Winyard, which was um, a bit of a almost a unicorn at one stage, mm-hmm. um, a fast-growing tech company doing um, product uh, your product marketing. I think mm. for yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've also spent some time working in the impact space in yes. the UK, right? Yeah. I'm curious about your um, those two worlds coming together. This mm. sort of world of um, Hardcore marketing, um, you, you know, battling um, for attention for <laughs> business and selling products and an impact. Do you see those in conflict? And how do you resolve mm-hmm. your desire to have an ethical, positive impact on the world with the need to run mm-hmm. business? Well, I think what I love about this space is that 
businesses are fast-paced and innovative and they think of solutions in, a, in really creative ways and they push each other, you know, that competition element of pushing each other to be better, hmm. I think there's real value in that. And if that can be directed at some of the social and environmental challenges we face, I think we could get there a whole lot faster than we are now. Um, what frustrates me is, you know, businesses that are are doing, you know, applying all of that amazing talent and skill purely for the purpose of driving profit for shareholders. Um, it's it's short-sighted and, you know, I think most people that run a career like that end up feeling pretty unfulfilled at the end of it. Um, so my mission has always really been to bridge those two worlds and try and direct some of that energy towards delivering positive purpose and mm. impact. Mm. You've got a child, did you mm -hmm. say? Yeah. <clears throat> what, um, congratulations, Thanks. by the way. Um, I just became a grandfather, actually. And oh, that, wow. Um, you know, that kind of is quite freaky, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a question I like to ask everybody. Well, what mm -hmm. gives you hope? You know, we are living through, you know, what feels like a, a, a pretty uh, anxious period mm. um, as we get closer and closer to the reality of climate change and we mm. see the storms and things starting to happen happen now yeah. um when you look at your little boy or girl mm. um do what hope do you have for their future yeah well i've been doing a, a lot of work and learning actually mainly in systems change uh, lately and um one of the things that i've learned is that this idea that humans are kind of selfish and self-motivated is is actually a construct that's relatively new. And actually, if we dig deep, deep into history and our ancestors and who we are, we are compassionate, collaborative creatures. Um, so systems change, what I've realised, is actually not about pushing for something new and trying to create this better world that hasn't existed before. It's actually mm -hmm. just returning to basics. Like, we... We want to cooperate and we want to create a good society where people are happy and they flourish and they thrive. Mm. So that gives me hope, I guess, that it's innate in us as humans to to do good, um, that we're not trying to push stuff uphill, um, that, mm. you know, we, we can actually do this if we just kind of come back to, to who we are as human beings and have some humanity about how we live our lives. It's quite interesting um, inter reinterpretation that's happening ar around evolutionary psychology. Of mm. we've had this metaphor of um, <clears throat> you know survival of the fittest got reinterpreted mm. as survival of the strongest, mm. and actually the probably the more compelling driver of evolution is is cooperation, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. collaboration, as you say, you know, mm -hmm. across species, mm -hmm. uh, across ecosystems. And actually balance is about the level of cooperation. Occasionally someone gets eaten, uh, you know, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that does happen. But um, that's kind of the similar thing, yeah. isn't it? Like survival yeah. of the strongest is not... Mm. That actually is a misinterpretation of, mm. of how biological systems work. Yeah, yeah, and I think that this concept of growth as well is like this idea that we've become attached to and you think there's actually lots of things in our language where we talk about, you know, emotions if you're, if you're feeling up, you know, it's a good thing or, you know, and you're down, it's bad. This idea that we have to constantly be moving forward and up and, and that is a construct that's actually, you know, only really appeared in the last couple of hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, we, I think, if you look back to Indigenous cultures, you know, there's a lot more of it, that cyclical nature. And it's not a it's not a linear journey for any of us or for 
humans. Um, and so learning to live in that more cyclical space is, is really interesting, as you say, reframing mm. um, our evolution. I mean, it's quite a... That, that's a whole topic in itself, <laughs> isn't it, about degrowth and yes. about changing the imperative of business mm. from just constant expansion. And I think it was... Um, um, uh, the donut economics woman who's just momentarily forgotten Kate, her name, Kate Rowith, Kate Rowith yes. um, who pointed out that um, uh, the only thing that constantly grows in nature is a tumour. Mm. And uh, the, the natural constraints of growth are, um, are eventually, you know, death and destruction. Mm. And so learning, learning circularity, mm. learning cooperation, learning yeah. your place in the ecosystem might be kind of one of the insights that to apply into business. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, big fan of donut economics and um, and how and I think that it's it's very aligned with the B Corp movement and the way that our businesses operate. Um, that growth mindset is just tiring, isn't it? I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense for us to think that we can constantly grow. It's it's just. Um, it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, it is, but you're quite right um, when you were talking before about the lessons of business are around being competitive, mm. being sharp. Um, mm. We've got to do that too. Mm. Mm, somehow yep. we have to figure all of this out. Well, yes. <laughs> I, I wish you the best for navigating the next period of growth, but sounds like B, B Lab is going to go, is experiencing mm. a real um, growth. So um, good luck with that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anō.